Sonic States. What's wrong? Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sonic Talk number 193. Uh, every week we seem to be getting closer to that 200. Well, I suppose that's inevitable, really, with the march of numbers and time and uh, the rules of mathematics and all that sort of thing. Anyway, welcome, everybody, to uh, the live chatties. Um, good to see a good, fulsome chat room. Uh, SonicState.com forward slash live, 4pm on a Wednesday afternoon. UK time is where you can uh, join us. Uh, we have a live stream, which is this video one you see before you, if you're there now. But if you're just listening, you can uh, head over there if you have, uh, have the inclination. And there's a chat room, which is also embedded in the video. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. Um, and also, I've got a couple of guests down the wire. I'm here on my Todd in the studio um, this week. And um, let's start with, uh, we'll jump over to the stateside, our stateside guest in the form of Richard Hilton. How are you, Richard? Very well, thank you. And how about yourself? I'm good too, actually. Very good indeed. I managed to get my, uh, my, my fancy camera working today, so I'm quite pleased with myself. Uh, for those in the chat room, I'm going to show you, I'll give you a little quick demonstration of my camera doing its whizzy stuff there we go and switch back um so i'm quite pleased it's an automatic camera Ooh, everything everybody's complaining because all i've been doing is playing with it in the preamble <laughs> <laughs> making them all seasick no doubt anyway rich uh, rich hilton of course um studio guy uh, producer high level studio person working uh, out of uh Nile rogers studio in connecticut uh, well new york i guess how are you good High level, that means I work on the third floor, right? Well, no, I think it means it's, it's, <laughs> it's in the esoteric sense, in the kind of top, the top end, the professional I side. Think <laughs> I think it's just the flight, two flights of stairs I got to walk to get there. Oh, really? What? No lift? I suppose, yeah. Got to, got to figure it. It's a private home. Oh, I mean, you know. oh okay. I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. Ah, I see. Well, anyway, um, thank you for joining us, Rich, at myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. And also we have Dave Spears from g4software.com, makers of fine virtual instruments. How are you, Dave? I'm all right, thank you. Good, glad to hear it. Uh, your mic sounds, you're still on the laptop mic. We've got to get you sorted out with a with a new headset or a new thingy. I don't know what's going on there. Some yeah, sort of inc- made it out to PC World. I kept meaning to do it, but um be busy. Yeah, I know the feeling. Know the feeling. I've uh, had the Juno GI in for review this week, which is um, proving to be more of a handful than I'd anticipated. It's got a lot of features on there, man. I'm going to hopefully use it a bit later to fly some clips into the show. Hey, the idea, anyway. Want to hear yeah. it? Yeah. It's very nice for sort of jazzy pads and you know all that sort of stuff. Perhaps not so good for signature sounds, but 128 voices of polyphony for uh, all of that stuff pretty good anyway and there's also an 8-track recorder on it um, and Benedict Johnson in the chat room asks do you know GI or Korg microstation well funnily enough I also have the microstation over there in a white box which I'm going to be reviewing next so I will be able to uh, make some form of comparison I've decided not to open it yet because uh, I thought well you know if I do that I might prefer one to the other and kind of not get around to the review of the other one that I'm supposed to if you see what I mean I'm looking forward to it though even though with the teeny tiny keys, but I've got teeny tiny hands, so it's kind of all right. <laughs> get, <laughs> Benedict shouts, get it out! No, I think I shall leave it for the time being. I'll do it on, I'm saving it for the next unboxing video. So anyway, um, well, hello and welcome. I think we might have uh, Mark Tinley with us a little bit later on, but I'm not entirely sure yet. We'll, we'll soon see. But I guess one of the big topics this week, or the big topic of the week, um, actually the news broke, I think the the afternoon after the show, 
Um, so we missed it for the actual recording of the live show. But of course, it's Pro Tools native, Pro Tools HD native. Now, this is kind of a big deal, isn't it, really? Because it means that uh, essentially it's a card that allows you to run Pro Tools interfaces, uh, the HD IO, HD Omni, HD Maddie, the and the, the, the older uh, blue IOs, the 192 IO and 96 IO, um, two of them on a card, but interface using the DSP and the computer to run your RTAS and all of that sort of thing. Now, I'm guessing, Rich, um, I did get a, a couple of messages from you at the time when you saw that it came out. Obviously, this is kind of quite a big uh, a big change. Does this going to affect your world, do you think? I mean, what, is, what do you think it means? Well, it was very close to having a very profound effect on my world because at first, I was thinking, great. I can get rid of these three TDM cards while they still have value and replace them with a native card, not lose any voice count, and open up two slots in my computer. And in pursuit of that, I decided to run some tests, and so I immediately started converting some large and dense sessions with high track counts and lots of plugins all over to RTAS to see if I could run them successfully without using the TDM cards for anything that I could divert to the uh, computer's engine and it all worked great. And at that point I probably spent 48 hours thinking that it was a lock and that I was going to go ahead and do this. And it was only across the last day and a half that I discovered that, um, you cannot run their new heat, uh, plugin in a native environment. You can only run it in TDM and we've come to quite like heat on our sessions. And so, uh, while I probably wouldn't buy a Pro Tools HD rig just to run it, um, having one already, it seemed crazy to get rid of it. So what I am going to probably do, yeah. current plan, a subject to revision, update, and cancellation, is to replace one of my three HDXL cards with a UA quad-core card because I really like the idea of being able to run all that UA stuff in there. And yeah. uh, apparently with the two digi cards, I don't give up any voice count as compared to the three cards. And uh, what I do give up has no relevance to my life, which is basically input numbers because I don't. You don't need that. Use large. I don't use large numbers. I don't record large numbers of things ever in on that rig. And so uh, in the end, I'm hoping I'll have a much more versatile system for a practic for very very little outlay if I can sell my Pro Tools card and. Uh, Life will be wonderful. So you just you're just going to sell one of the TDM cards, is that right? Yeah. Uh, okay. And how does the UAD um, incorporate within the Pro Tools environment? Is there some kind of bridge or something? Because well, that's an interesting question that I don't exactly know the answer to, except to say that I know with certainty that it does. I just don't know quite how. I, I think it used to run within a VST wrapper. And I think right. now they've written their plugins to be native to the Pro Tools environment uh, in terms of running, you know, on their card but within Pro Tools. Hold my calls, please. <laughs> He's got another sales message. Yes. Right. No, do you know who that was? <laughs> three, three customer services, which is my uh, mobile phone carrier. God, unbelievable. 
That's interesting, Rich. Um, I don't know. Um, uh, Shannon Newman in the um, chat room says RTAS on UAD. I don't know whether that's a confirmation or whether that's uh, a question. I'm not entirely sure. Well, that's quite – I mean, does, does, do you think this is going to – because I've been trawling the digital design forums all day just trying to figure out what the general feeling of it is. And it seems to me the community's kind of split because some people were kind of thinking, well, why don't you just go the whole hog and go completely native and forget about the actual card? But I guess then people who've got investments already in Pro Tools I.O. hardware would then have to ditch that as well. Well, their, their business is in hardware, so it's not surprising that they continue to tie their software to hardware. And in as much as that's true, the card is really nothing more than an interface to use between your computer and their interfaces which connect via a proprietary cable. Now, it's kind of expensive, and people have been kind of moaning about the $3,500 list price on that card. Yeah. And uh, on the one hand, I can see why, but on the other hand, it's going to theoretically replace for many people $14,000 worth of HD hardware, you know, so um, which is what a three-card system costs just in general these days. So... um Oh my. Yeah, yeah, it's a bunch of yeah, it's a bunch of money. I was, you know, it's funny cuz when I was about to do it, I was having guys trying to talk me out of it, like sales reps and digi reps or shall we say avid reps. Um going, "You sure you want to do this? You really want to do it?" You're like, you know, I'm like, "Yeah, I think it'll work great." And until I came up against something that runs in TDM that I really want to use, I was perfectly willing to do that. And mm. I think for many people this will be a very attractive alternative. Yeah, I, I wondered. I mean, uh, there seems to be uh, most of the questioning seems to be going on about, you know, they people want to, they just want the zero latency. They don't care. You know, they want to be able to use the TDM plugs and have zero latency to record through plugins and stuff. And I guess that's fair enough. And this doesn't really provide that. Uh, I think the lowest latency that they were talking about was uh, 1.6 milliseconds at 96K. Well, the native, the, the, uh, latency of a TDM system is 0.44 milliseconds. Yeah. So you're basically adding between one and three milliseconds of latency and you're buying the ability to not have to rebuy the same damn Pro Tools cards every five years when they change the slot configuration for another six to eight thousand dollars. Which is what happens every time the slot configuration changes. You have to rebuy your system for like big money in order to keep running what you were running yesterday on your old computer. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, that's the way that that seems to be the Avid Pro Tools way. Yeah. So if you can, you know, drop your card count from three to one, all of a sudden that eight, you know, six to eight grand becomes two grand or three grand or whatever every time yeah. that comes around. It's an plus, interesting. I think running plus I think running native runs works very well. I've been using RTAS more and more anyway, just because I find that when I start to fill up my TDM cards, certain plugins get a little flaky. I have a uh, a few Waves plugins that very specifically turn into fuzz boxes spontaneously. <laughs> Bit reducers, yeah. <laughs> and will not reset themselves until you've reloaded the TDM cards. You basically it has nothing sort of to do with them. It's just if you reset the TDM cards or if you switch that plug into RTAS and back, it'll often clear the problem. Jeez. That's quite so, uh, it is is Pro Tools sixty four bit, as um people are saying in the chat no, room. Not, it's not. Isn't no, that gonna not. be a problem if you're using it for composition environment and you got kind of sample plugins and all that thing? It's gonna be a big big issue, isn't it? They're gonna well, run it into has a lot- been, it hasn't been for me lately because Contact Four now runs in its own memory manager and so it runs outside of the RAM allocation for the host program. 
Oh, so you get right. Okay, so that, and that is sixty-four and, bit, right? I don't know if it's sixty-four bit or not, but the point is, it, it, the thing about Pro Tools being sixty-four bit is so much of it runs on the cards that I very serious. Now I don't know this for sure. I'm kind of speaking speculatively, but I doubt very seriously they could easily just go to sixty-four bit in a TDM environment. Perhaps yeah. in a native environment they could. But uh, I would think that those cards might be a limiting factor because, let's face it, TDM is a phone switching technology from the late 80s. <laughs> it is. That's, that's great, isn't it? What a great way of putting it, looking at it. But yeah. <laughs> it is. I even know the guy who brought it to them, and they poo-pooed it at first. But, the, I mean, the, there is also the criticism that, you know, this is basically, because it's a, a basically a 1K PCIe card, with an extra two and a half grand extra for avid permission to use Pro Tools HD. And that's what some people are saying. And you, you have to kind of think, well, there may be some sort of element of truth in that because it doesn't look like it, this card is particularly stacked with anything that would cost a lot of money to make. Well, we'll see. As I said, it, as I said, it purports to replace a fairly high number, you know, dollar amounts worth of other hardware that you know, this thing still allows up to, you know, a hundred and what, ninety-two voices at forty-four-one and with you know, with an adequate CPU count and such. Well, that might just about get me through the day. I know Dave Spears, you've been very quiet here. I mean you don't run a tool system, do you? Do you run uh, LE and stuff to, for testing your, your plugs in? Yeah, just LE, so it doesn't really affect me at all. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> what do you think though? Do you think, do you think there's a, do you think they're doing the right thing? I mean, a lot of people have been saying maybe the better, a better strategy might have been to make the, the card cheaper and to, to draw more people from the LE market up a stage rather than this big jump from a sort of $1,000 LE system up to kind of three or four thousand, five thousand bucks, uh, six thousand bucks, in fact, with that and I say an Omni interface. Yeah, I think it's a reasonable point. I, I, you know, to be honest, I got kind of slightly excited when it was native, and then I realised actually it's not really, really native, is it? Because obviously you still need the card. I thought I could do away with my Mbox Pro or whatever it is, mm. but obviously not. Well, the new there's a new Mbox Pro out actually, um, which has some built-in DSP on it as well, which I think is about seven hundred quid. I'm not sure. I, I saw it. I saw a, a box of one at the recent BPM show. I think we're going to be get, getting one in, but it allows you to run zero latency. You know, just sort of vocal effects and stuff like that. It's nothing like a kind of TDM system, of course. But uh, um, the more uh, cynical amongst us will no doubt make a comparison in terms of what you get for your cash. But uh, interesting. I mean, this is kind of quite a big sea change for somebody like uh, Avid because obviously you know they're they're doing something which essentially is cutting out a large part of what they what they sell so how I guess the fact that they still tie it to their interfaces their hardware interfaces is they've got to really otherwise they're going to be seen they're going to be like one of those companies that like CAD that charges thousands and thousands of pounds for a piece of software when you when you find it's quite hard to um to justify that hmm and you yeah. end, you end up with people then you know just think well I'm not paying just for hard for software, at least with the hardware tie and you've got a kind of compelling argument for for the increased price. But I'm not sure. I mean it, it's going to be a very interesting um, time for those upgrades because usually Rich it's a fairly straightforward um, decision, isn't it? They say right here's the new when they went to HD TDM or you know the the, the previous version from that they make a decision and. Uh, and, and you're off, you know, you just, you know how much you've got to spend and then you do an upgrade, but this is sort of a bit greyer, isn't it? 
Well, you're off for eight grand. Like I said, <laughs> yeah, you're off eight grand in your old cards and you can have new cards that run just like these ones did yesterday. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. without a single additional feature, more with nothing yeah. but the same rig you already own. Right. You get a chance, you get the opportunity every five years to rebuy the same card rig you already have for another eight grand. <laughs> uh, I could get off of that line real quickly. Yes, no, I can understand <laughs> that. Hey, listen, I've got Mark Tinley on the line. I'm going to just go and grab him as well. Hello. Hello, how are you? Well, Mark. Um, so many buttons. I've got a bit of a problem today. I've got one of those weird kind of uh, migraine things where my fingertips have all gone numb. So it's. Ooh, that doesn't sound too good. Bizarre to operate a computer with numb fingertips. It's like it's not really connected to anything at all. That's strange. But I don't have a headache. I just took masses of codeine, so I'll probably be completely crazy on this podcast. <laughs> High as a kite. Yay. High as a kite on, le on legal substances. <laughs> well, there we go. At Mark, um, likebeing.com, where else are we sending people now? Oh, I think I want people to go to conceptsavant.com. Conceptsavant.com. I'll put the link in the show notes. Thank you very much. Hey, Mark, you can't, it can't have escaped your attention that um, Pro Tools Native HD has been released. We were just talking about that with Rich. Rich was so close, and yet he decided not to in the end. Um, what are your thoughts? Do you think this is a big leap step forward, or is it just another, another way of making some more cash? Um, oh, I've had a long and... A uh, difficult relationship with DigiDesign, <laughs> I think. I, mean, I, I love the software. I think the software is by far the the nicest way of editing audio um, for me because it, everything's on one screen and you can just see the whole thing all at once. And that sort of multi-point tool is probably the best multi-point tool where you can grab, you know, depending on whereabouts on the screen or whereabouts on the uh Oh yeah, so the workflow thing. That's right. The, the contextual, the contextual cursor stuff. Yeah, amazing. But as far as their hardware is concerned, I've always considered their hardware to be a bit. Um, uh, how? Uh, what can I? A uh, badly made is the best, the nicest way I can put it. Oh yes, well, no, I've heard about that already before from you when you've had problems with various interfaces, haven't you? But, but yeah, or so including you know including a seven thousand quid. Uh, pro whatever it was controller that just kept going wrong and blowing up and having power rails replaced and going backwards and forwards and uh, you know if you sweated on it all the paint came off and it was just <laughs> corrosive you have corrosive you have corrosive yeah. stuff in your blood no, well, I, no I don't think I I don't think I'm particularly corrosive or anyone else I just think that whatever paint they used on it was just I don't know it was just badly made and and the whole being forced to have to get the next sort of generation of hardware so you can use the next generation of software has always sucked as far as I'm concerned. So, mm. Well, it's not an um, uncommon thing. I mean, Apple do it too. You know, it's like you, once you get more prices, more DSP power, then, I mean, to be honest, I, the fact that you can get so much life out of a Pro Tools rig, considering it's based on, you know, hardware based, the DSP is there, you know, that's quite an achievement, really, for it to have even five years longevity seems pretty good. I mean, when you consider that most computers you buy are kind of pretty much over after two or three, I suppose that's one way of looking at it. 
Uh, I maybe. Suppose. I mean, if it, if it means that the software has been separated from the hardware and that I can now go and upgrade to a later version of software and I can throw my crappy LE interface in the bin, then I'll be very happy. But if it doesn't mean that, then I'm not very excited. Well, you sort of do, but you have to pay more. No, it doesn't uh, mean that. <laughs> it doesn't mean that. No. And Mark, I think one of my favorite moments, Mark, was in 2002 when I strolled into Sphere Studios and convinced Duran Duran to spend tens of thousands of quid on new Pro Tools hardware. But that was, yeah, that was one of my favorite moments as well. <laughs> <laughs> I remember this look of absolute incredulity on your face as they're going, yeah, I sure. Let's buy you do, yeah, I was, I was flabbergasted. <laughs> I don't know how you did that, even to this day. I, there must be some kind of Connecticut Jedi mind trick that happened and, there. And really. They were still trying to decide if I had a clue at the time, if you'll recall. <laughs> like, there was all this skepticism surrounding my arrival because they had yeah. you and they knew you could do it. And uh, so there's all this skepticism I mean, within the context of that atmosphere. I say, well, what you guys need. <laughs> Rich, it sounds like we need to hire you for uh, just an afternoon on sales for us, if you wouldn't mind. <laughs> just yeah, maybe an afternoon you... every six months would be fine. <laughs> I was musing over the exact opposite of that earlier on. I had a friend round earlier on, and I was saying that uh, we were talking about setting up my transport autism charity, and he was saying, well, you can't just have people come and do stuff for you for nothing. You've got to pay people. And I said, yeah, I have kind of got experience of, that from the past where I've bought stuff from music shops and really hammered them down to bottom dollar and then got an incredibly bad surface uh, because of that. And I was talking about uh, a particular member of a particular band who I'm not going to name who decided that he wanted a Korg product which cost £250 and he wanted Korg to give it to him free and promptly phoned an accountant who he was paying £750 an hour and spent three-quarters of an hour on the phone explaining to him how he needed to get him this thing free. And I never <laughs> understood the logic behind that. <laughs> well, you know, what can you say? Gosh, um, anyway... We should probably move on to something else, because I've got something else to play, and I might actually attempt to do this via the magic of the Geno GI, because I've got this hooked up, and I've recorded a couple of clips into the... Uh, no, I'm not going to do this clip, actually. No, scratch that. I'll do that next time. But um, maybe maybe we could uh, do the bees music after uh, a message from our wonderful sponsors. So, of course, we have... Uh, Yamaha UK, who have been uh, with us for some time now, and um, they want to bring your attention to the Motif XF. Uh, I, I'm sure you've heard me tell you it's got 741 megabytes of uh, internal wave ROM, which is more than double than the previous versions. Uh, 1664 voices, 97 drum kits, popular FSFX and BHF keyboard actions let you express your passion for playing. 512 performances, direct to USB recording. There's tons of it, um, including the flash ROM. And in fact, um, there's a, a shipment, the first shipment of deliveries of Motif XF is landing in the stores in the UK, and some retailers are selling packages which include 512 megs of flash board with it. So you get that essentially for nothing. So you get half a gig of flash memory, so you can take advantage of that offer when they come to the store. So keep an eye on that uh, in a store near you. I think that might be an international offer as well. So do check that out. 
They'll also be announcing um, that uh, UK customers who are purchasing a Motif XF from one of their Pulse, Yamaha Pulse stores get a free training seminar from a Yamaha product specialist, which is worth 175 quid. Uh, they're also going to be doing a series of Motif XF workshops in, in store during November. So people either should, either should uh, join the Yamaha Download Facebook group or keep an eye on yamahadownload.com for more information regarding dates um, you can get all this information by going sonicstate.com forward slash yamaha as well which means that track all the clips track all the clicks through <coughs> excuse me but basically uh, we want to thank yamaha extensively for their continued sponsorship of the show and there's going to be more news coming from them shortly but uh, do check out the motif xf it's uh, really quite an all-encompassing keyboard Right, I'm, I'm going to play a little clip now, um, and um, you can tell me what you think. Just fade that one out there. Um, that was the sound of the Tone Hammer B uh, samples, um, which in fact are um, a free download from Tone Hammer, uh, which is amazing. It's a free sample library based on the sounds of bees, and they were created in that video by a, cap, a chap called Trolls. Said uh, from Tone Hammer, he said he wanted to see how far he could take the recordings of bees into the realm of music. Uh, the bee produces about two hundred to two hundred and thirty wing flaps per second, which is enough to generate generate a nice, rich sounding buzz, as I'm sure we all know. But it was kind of interesting. It reminded me a little bit, and I'm sure it pays homage to um, what Diego Stocker does with his, you know, music from trees, music from sand, all that sort of thing. But uh, I quite like that, and the music was pretty cool too. Anybody uh, concur, Mark? I imagine you've got the mono, the binaural uh, stereo headset, um, mic set, so you, th- you might have actually. Uh, kind of appreciated the recording. I noticed he used a stereo H4N Zoom as well. I liked it a lot, yes. I like anything where people make music out of very unusual things, and I thought it was kind of cool the way they'd put that together. And also how they'd taken those sounds and sort of turned them into other sounds was cool as well. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that there was like there was one bit that they time stretched down like 200 times to generate the kind of pad sound, which I thought was quite nice. I, yeah, must, exactly. I don't know what what do you use for generate for time stretching down that far. I know I've not got anything like that on the Mac. I'm going to have to look into it. What do I? I would use SoundForge probably for time stretching something that far because there's lots of different options for doing it. But yeah, but actually, actually, uh, Pro Tools is quite good fun for time stretching things absolutely ridiculous amounts, and you can sort of play around with it while it's in the while it's on the timeline, and then you can sort of stretch things to fit. Other things quite nicely as well on the grid, which is right. which, and play around with whether it's polyphonic or monophonic or whatever, and really sort of mess around with the sound of it as well. Oh yeah, okay, cool. Um, um, Dave Spears, you do kind of sound design stuff. What would you use to time stretch that much? Pull stretch um, uh, is mentioned in the chat room by Popistan. 
which is what was used for that Justin Bieber thing. What would you use on a Mac? Ah, uh, okay. Uh, I would either use Radius or Melodyne. Ah, can you do like 200, 300% stretch down? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, 300 yeah, I mean, times down, not 200, 300%. That's it. Yeah, I really drag it and uh, muck about. It's mm. good. Very good. Interesting stuff. Oh, yeah. I thought that was great, actually. They do a lot of good stuff, don't they? They do the kind of um, a, a lot of unusual sample libraries, like the bowed pianos and the, the the strange percussion. I don't know what those things are that are kind of um, you hit with your thumbs. I've forgotten what they're called now, but they do all of that stuff and things made out of gas bottles and what have you. Mm. Yeah, neat. I, I did like that chord. It was a sort of very nice kind of band party type vibe. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think they fulfil the uh, innate need in us as uh, professionals, music professionals who went out and bought the DAT machine and the uh, stereo mic all those years ago to actually bother to record something and make music out of it rather than never bother to do it at all, because I did try, but I never got anywhere. <clears throat> yeah, I haven't done it for a while, but that kind of made me think, ooh, maybe I'll just leave the office for a bit. Inspired. I know, Rich, to do anything for you is kind of quite an unusual set of sounds, or very, I mean, very... Obviously, uh, buzzy, of course. It, co- it conjured images of Diego Stacco in a hazmat suit. <laughs> a beard of bees. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, and the temptation to say it's the bees' knees is almost irresistible. But, are, oh, oh, it, it holds some interest for me. Nothing. I'm always interested, as Mark said, in people using found sounds in unusual ways. So to that extent, it's interesting to me. And some of the sounds were pretty cool. Yeah, And uh, in my own work, I once had the experience of using bird sounds rhythmically in a section of a song with the B-52s, and that was big fun. These are the sort of things that uh, I think they've become a lot more viable with the, the ability to kind of manipulate the audio in much more extreme ways. Because, I mean, I, I think perhaps when I was doing it, there wasn't you couldn't really slow it down all that much without kind of any you know you you had to sort of get something that sounded quite good from the start and you couldn't always find something in it you see what i mean because you couldn't you didn't have the extreme tools available whereas now there's a lot more of that around when i first started time stretching things ridiculous amounts yeah the way the way i used to do that was i think in probably when the time stretch function first appeared on logic you couldn't time stretch things very far no you couldn't but what you could do is you could drag something and time stretch it once and then if you time stretch the same thing again and then again and then again and then again you can end up making it 10 times as long but it just got mangled in just this really nice and really interesting way and i think i mean i unlike uh dave dave likes radius probably because it's quite able to time stretch things a long way and for them to retain some of the natural quality of the original sound whereas i like things totally the opposite way and i want my time want the artifacts. to mangle things and create loads of weird artifacts and overtones and harmonic kind of things that aren't meant to be there so um so that i mean i just used to do this you know the the same operation again and again and again and again on the same on the same chunk of audio so as it yeah. got longer and longer and longer it would introduce more and more weird sort of additional things yeah i think that's the, i think the thing now is i mean you know now the, the fact that you can easily do this and throw it very quickly sort of drag and drop into an instrument and then play it on a keyboard and try it quickly makes it much easier to kind of explore 
the ways of you taking found sounds and turn them into something because you know in the past it was a very meticulous and time-consuming process and it's not quite it doesn't have to be so much now and that's that's the sort of thing that i got from this video is like oh actually maybe i can go and you know just take a sample of something and make something happen and i like the idea of that a lot actually so i'm gonna do it anyway bmusictonehammer.com check them out um, i'm gonna play now i'm gonna uh, switch to my other camera so i'm this is the lovely juno g i'm gonna play something um else and uh, this th let's see if the, i can get this to work so um see how it goes here it comes Okay. I imagine down Skype that sounds god awful. <laughs> well, but what I don't know what it is. I got a lot of stick for this actually. I posted this because I thought it was quite interesting because it was an Emu 2500 modular system which in itself in of itself is a very very rare thing. Made in 1972, they reckon there's about 100 in existence now. I think I saw them once on the Emu stand before they were bought by Creative um at at uh, nam where they just had a look this is the legacy of stuff that we've got because they don't really make any synthesizers these days just purely sound cards and, and master keyboards but if you listen to the, the you know that's just a single clip but actually without the skype there's some really authentic bits like the sort of whistle it does sound like someone asleep with a whistly breath and stuff and i just thought what a fantastically versatile instrument and I thought this could give us um, one of two possible directions it could go in. Anybody who's got any experience with an EMI 2500 has ever touched one. And also um, just how far you can go with uh, modular analog synthesis. And also the third one is I just play the tumbleweed sample now. <laughs> <laughs> Rich, you, I know you used to sell synthesizers. <clears throat> Did you ever come across an EMI 2500? Uh, not on the retail floor, no, but I was fully well aware of it at the time. I couldn't find any record of its original price or what they're worth these days, which I guess means if you have to ask, then it's not even worth, <laughs> then you don't, you can't afford it sort of thing. But, uh, it looks, uh, it's a large format one, isn't it? They're kind of, everything's big on it. And at one point, I believe, I don't know if it was that one or another one, but there was polyphonic, which was very early on. Oh, really? I didn't know that. If I'm not mistaken, if I'm not, I could be mistaken about that, but I think they had a polyphonic modular rig. But in any case, um, a guy named Patrick Gleason, who had previously worked with Herbie Hancock with the, in an early Headhunters version, did a rather brilliant realization of Holst's The Planets on an EMU modular system, uh, back then that I found, uh, quite a bit more satisfying than Tomita's version. Ah, okay. I don't know what the sound of them has. I mean, Dave, have you ever come across one of these? Do they have a sort of a particular sound, a particular filter type? I mean, I just don't know any of the emu stuff, really. Sure, it's, it's funny. We were only talking about this yesterday. I've played one at that uh, Museum of Synth Technology when it was my job to go around setting up sounds in advance of the camera crew coming around. Um, and it was quite interesting. It had some quite neat little things but to be honest, that was like well over 10 years ago, and I've completely forgotten about it. However, there was one that came up for sale recently. Really? So KS, KSR80 in the chat room has uh, 
recently restored one and i think it was Ooh. the same we were talking about this on facebook because it's the same one that i played which i believe now belongs to the guy from the chemical brothers uh and he's fixed a couple of things for that so we were kind of chatting and one came up for sale in new york and it had the polyphonic keyboard and it had about three cabinets <sighs> which were all about three quarters full and i was so tempted just to email and say i couldn't possibly afford it but how much but then I thought, no, it'll set the grey matter running, and I don't. Wow. So I didn't. You didn't do but it? Yeah. No, 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 no. no. Curse Curses. No, but I found, it's weird, because I found that sound quite, when I first listened to it, I thought, yeah, well, it's just a load of noise, you know, it's like pink noise or something. And then the more you listen to it, the more you can hear, like, audio rate modulation. Yeah, and there's stuff all sorts it. of interesting stuff going on in there, isn't there? Yeah, it definitely brought up a geek in me. But the thing is, is I, I put that on uh, as a, just a sort of little kind of blog post on the on the news section, and all I got was stick from it. Here. I can't believe you put this up. This is rubbish. I, don't, I can't, can't believe I even bothered to wait for it to download, but I thought it was quite interesting because it was very subtle and not extreme yeah. and not your sort of standard bleepy bloopy sort of modular kind of stuff. And that's what I liked about it. There was an early piece of famous sound design by Suzanne Ciani, in which she did the pouring of a of a soft drink of a soda into a glass. All right, that's and that sort of apparently made her <laughs> reputation in the commercial business, which, oh, really? as we all know, can be very lucrative. Um, yeah, this was go- this is going back two decades, maybe three at least. Wow, but, uh, with a mod with some kind of I believe it was Bukla. Yes. She created the sound of pouring soda. Wow, which yes. I find to be infinitely more challenging than a slowly, you know, yeah, well, LFO that's modulated noise patch with a little bit of FM in it. Okay, <laughs> I haven't got a modulus. I would like to get a modular someday, but uh, just a twenty five hundred. I don't think I'd ever get the room for it. Um, I mean, it's quite amazing that you can to what level you can do this. I guess this is why YouTube is just full of people you know, with kind of check out my modular patch, because once you sort of get into that world, maybe it's the only way you can, you know, if you haven't got a piece of music you're working on, then making a video is probably the only outlet you have for it, unless you've, unless you've got it in the air. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's, or is that a bit harsh? <laughs> the collector syndrome. Yeah. Uh, no one wants to come around today, so I'll make a video. <laughs> Six days a week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's good. Uh, uh, owners of the EMU 2500, Vince Clark, Herbie Hancock, Patrick Gleason, as you said, Hans Zimmer, of course, Meat Beat Manifesto, Frank Zappa, and Roger Lynn is listed here as well, Inter- interestingly enough. I don't know. Is Mark there? I heard a door. No, I'm still there, I heard yeah. a door go. Have you ever come across one of these? A door? No, an EMU 2500 modular system. Um, have I ever come across one of those? No, um... Not in my uh, immediate conscious memory, no. <laughs> I don't think. I'm I just have. trying to. I'm just trying to think, you know, because they only they the, only. The ma- only place I think they might have had one is Swanyard for some reason. I've got a vague memory of something with a silver front panel in Swanyard like that, but it probably wasn't one of those. Oh, I don't know. I've not. I, again, I just haven't. I've never seen one. I'd love to know, you know, have they got any, whether there's any particular sound, you know, I mean, is it like, you know, do they have particularly fabulous filters or were they just emulating modules of the time, you know, so there would be like Moog sound and, and maybe probably a bit early for System 100M, I don't know. Well, if it was EMU, one would imagine that being an American company, they were probably quite innovative. 
So they probably wouldn't just be emulating everybody else. They'd probably have something unique coming out of it, I would have thought, because they did go on to make the emulator, didn't they? So Yeah, it's such a straight, you know, it's a jump from that, from making modular. I don't know if they made anything else. I don't, I don't recall any other synthesizers apart from that modular that they made. Did they make anything else? Does anybody know? Is this some, anybody in the chat room know whether Emu made anything sort of between their digital stuff and the analog stuff? They had that massive thing called the Audity, didn't they? Oh, I what was that? that? That was like a jumbo jump. I've got a feeling it was the guy from Tangerine Dream who commissioned it. And that was supposed to be, you know, the kind of ultimate. See, I think that was 16 voices, um, load of transient generators and stuff like that. I've got a feeling, and don't quote, well, quote me on it if you want, but it might be useless info. I have a feeling that that was about $70,000. <laughs> and then they made wow. the Proteus. Yeah. I wow. think they made a yes. drum machine. Yeah, of course. Um, I'm pretty sure they had. Did, didn't they make Drumulator? Drumulator. 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 Yeah, they yeah, did. Yeah. They, yeah, they did make that. Yeah, this light blue kind of button laden drum machine. Yeah, it was sort of in the Oberheim vein, wasn't it? But uh, the Drumulator. I'm trying to think who used the Drumulator. It was I one did. Of, did you? <laughs> hey, Mark used one. <laughs> Excellent. And the Emacs and all those things. I mean, they were the first affordable um, keyboards and what have you. Samplers. Yeah. Oh, those were the sa- that was when samplers, you know, yeah. hit. Yeah. Well, they were very expensive still, but not as expensive as you know the real top of the range stuff. I guess. I loved the Emulator One. I always wanted one of those because they looked so cool, mm. and they had bugger all sample memory in them. And, and Emulator right. Two was kind of a world apart from it, but it was really cool. They looked really cool. I was talking to, I did an interview with the dubstep guy, 12th Planet, from LA uh, last week, which I posted, and he was telling me the gear that he used, and he uses a, an, is it E4X? Mm, yeah, that one was those, nice. Those big, I think they had loads and loads of filter types and all sorts of, they had lots of sort of synth modules in the operating system. They were much more, much more like the Roland um, S series for synthesis than perhaps the Akai, weren't they? Yeah, no, I like those a lot, actually. We had a couple of E4 XPs and stuff. They were yeah. good, E3 XPs. I think that's the Very stuff neat. that he uses. <laughs> Which, uh, if you're interested, actually, I've, uh, dubstep is a fairly new genre to me, but um, he did a fantastic mix, um, for a pop mix of somebody called Jinder, which is actually embedded in the video if you want to check it out. Um, if, so, if anyone has a, a, an emulator one out there, I'd quite like to have access to it, please. I've got a, I've got a gig that's uh, basically taking a load of the floppies and trying to get them into a modern format, but I well, don't know anyone with a working emulator one. <laughs> Will you have to bake them? I don't think so. I think they've been pretty well stored. Mm. That's what I thought about my tapes. But yeah. I guess <laughs> But they weren't. I didn't have to bake it, but I only got one play out of it. Still. Anyway, um oh what's next? Um did uh, this was the other yes, okay, and I've got another thing to play from the the Juno GI. I think if I uh if I just uh, let's have a look, where am I going? Oh yes, I'm going there. That's the shot I want. Okay, this one is... Obviously Jean-Michel Jarre. I I forget which track this is, but this was a live version that was from London Docklands. With a bit of... Juno GI in the background. <laughs> the interesting
interesting thing about that is that whole gig was actually trans. Um, well, well, doing what we're doing basically on Ustream on the because it was the tenth of the tenth of the tenth, which seemed to be a fairly auspicious date. I think there was, uh, in fact, a little bit of. Uh, um, you know, two th- year 2000 bug business going on. That some people thought that some computers would probably uh, fall to bits. Um, obviously, it didn't. But um, anyone see that Jean Michel Jarre thing? It was uh, the t- no, I did, I did not. 2010, 10. Uh, he broadcast the whole thing. Um, it's quite a good experience, actually. I, I, I did quite enjoy it. The sound quality was good. It's one of those things that, because it's a shared collective thing, you sort of watch it and you're on Twitter at the same time saying, oh, look, is that a memory move? And it's a synth spotter's dream, of course, it being Jean-Michel Jarre. But I was, I must admit, I was rather distressed by the amount of unnecessary synth noodling going on or, you know, this sort of so- <laughs> soloing. Well, I don't know why I was surprised at that, but I'd not seen an entire gig before. I mean, I'd obviously like to have been there, but um, I didn't realise there was quite so much mad um, mad noodling. But I suppose that's what what you would uh, anticipate from a synth gig. Maybe not. Did uh, anyone else Is see it? That? Mark, no, yeah, carry, carry on. No. I just I did notice the other day that I think it was Jean Michel Jarre that Oliver Davis from Roland has a picture of on his Facebook in his Facebook photographs and I think I think it yes. was Jean Michel Yeah, yeah, I know it is. Be like Dudley Moore. I was going to put that up actually. I I typed into the Twitter box which was has anyone seen Dudley Moore and Jean Michel Jarre in the same room? And uh, and then I thought, <laughs> that's a bit tasteless, because Dudley's obviously passed away now, and that was uh, kind of... I, I think he has, and he did that a couple of years ago. I hope I've got that yeah, right. He did, yeah. I hope I got that right, yeah, at least. But, uh, yeah, they, they do look very, very similar, don't they? And Dudley Moore, of it's course, was an weird, abs- absolutely amazing pianist. How do you now? How do you get from John Michel Jarre to Dudley Moore? Now, there's, I like you. We're obviously on the same wavelength there, Mark. We saw the same thing. <laughs> do, yeah. John michel Moore. Um, Sorry, I've gone completely bloody uh, uh, red herring to you now. No, I'll no, that was good. Because you seem to be the... Uh, well, you, nobody else saw it, and you're just perfecting me for, present, presenting me with a, a tumbleweed dilemma, which I'm going to try and hold off for as long as possible. Dave, <laughs> <laughs> please, please join us what? in a John michel Did you see any of this? Or were you busy doing no. other things? Yeah. Yeah, like washing <laughs> your hair. The world really doesn't want to know what I think of Jean-Michel Jarre. No, you're not really. I, I, I thought Oxygen was great, but every single thing I've heard and seen subsequently, I just regard as pompous. I, I don't know why. I I almost want... I, there are times when I've kind of wanted to like him, but I don't, and I'm sorry. There's, something, there's something quite off-putting about seeing uh, a man of his... Um, stature and age, shall we say, doing what he does on stage and he d- incessant whacking of percussion pads out of time during um, during his performances sort of does rather jar, <laughs> if you excuse the pun. But um, yeah, I no, just, I agree. Oxygen. I, th- I thought I think oxygen is absolutely genius, and I think that's probably yeah. what it is. I've just got that in my head, and everything else just sort of feels a little bit over, over, you know, caped and keyboardy. I'll play. preview button on the GI instead and that was a random thing I thought that might be in some way Jean-Michel Jarre kind of appropriate for any of that conversation but of course it was not but uh, that's one of the cool <laughs> things about the, the, the Juno GI I said desperately trying to change the p- subject oh it's a honky tonk piano that's more like it <laughs> 
you press a button and it will play you a pattern sort of in the style of the voice you have. And I, I know that sounds kind of cheesy, but it's actually really helpful, um, for, certainly for a reviewer who is struggling for riffs to play to demonstrate any of the, any or all of the 1300 patches. Um, but anyway, the review's coming for that soon, so we'll find out soon enough. So should we skip um, rather, rather um, well, run headlong away from the Jean-Michel Jarre concert and uh, join uh, Mr. Hans Zimmer, because um, there, there was a really interesting video, which I think I'm going to play now. I like creating these sort of sonic landscapes and, and this stuff helps you. Plus, this stuff sort of helps you to think differently. You know, it's, it's, there's something, you know, very physical about moving, you know, jack plugs around as opposed to sitting there with your mouse in front of a keyboard. No, definitely. Yeah. Okay, um, this is sort of, it's sort of all more of the same, you know, and it's, 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 plus, you know, the old thing, those that die with the most toys win. Um, the, Oh, that sounds just absolutely terrible. Um, but that was a really interesting post from uh, a chap on uh, YouTube. Um, I forget the name of it. I should have credited it in the show notes, but I'm afraid uh, you'll have to wait till the end of the show and I can put it in the in the actual copy that adds it. And it was an interview with uh, Hans Zimmer at his place, and um, he was he was just seemed like a really nice bloke. But not only that, there was a scene uh, which I was hoping to get to. I obviously didn't I didn't get time to edit it to the right place where he's 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 looking at his wall of System 100M. And it's huge. And he said, you know, this is one of the best synthesizers ever. And he said um, that it was in the 80s, he'd heard that Roland had a huge warehouse full of System 100 modules. or Well, obviously not, or a, a backlog of them. And he phoned them up and said, um, I want to buy some of it. And they said, well, you can buy it, but you have to buy all of it. And um, he said, uh, they said they'd sell it to me for $25 a kilo. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought, that's a really, what a way to buy modular synthesizers. You know, that's just how, how low the kind of value of modulars and uh, synthesis was at that time, you know, when uh, analog synthesizers, when everybody was sort of convinced that, di that digital had to be the way forward. And you just think, gosh, if there's anyone who probably could have afforded it at list price, at least now anyway, perhaps. Um, anyone enjoy this? I thought it was, his, his, it just looked like, I know Dave, you've been to Zimmer's place, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Wow. He's a nice After bloke. That, he does seem like a nice bloke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got, you know, I, I think we talked about it earlier. I've got several mates who were in bands and stuff with him and used to work in studios with him, like when he was a button pusher, basically. And a lot of them go, so how did he do that then? But he's a really cool guy. He didn't mind me because immediately I walked in. I was like, oh, my God. And we just got the cameras out and started playing and shooting and doing various things. And he was exceptionally cool. I kind of gesticulated towards him kind of went is it all right and he went yeah 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 fine and just off of that room is another room where the big cms is which is the biggest cms modular ever ever made and another massive ppg and another system 700 and another big moog and it's just like everywhere you look it's like it was better than disneyland for me <laughs> fantastic so he started out as a like a programmer essentially yeah, he worked in a studio with. Um, wow, it's a bit of a random cat. Random cat there. Is that Mark? Yeah, one of, is, uh, is I that, don't know what is going on with her. She's mental. Is that one of your Sorry. Bengals? <laughs> yeah, it's the louder, the louder, smaller female Bengal. Who I don't know. I might need to go and kill her or something. No, don't do that. <laughs> Just give her some attention. <laughs> So yeah, he so he worked in the studio with um, Adrian Wagner and Chris Huggett. Oh, okay, um, 
Pace of Mine used to record there. And in fact, that was kind of Trevor Horn's sort of band at the time. And oh, so they're all linked from back, back in those days, or pre-Buggles. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's, you know, where the kind of connection came and whatnot. So, yeah. Was, he did He did come across as one of those sort of people who was exceptionally good at chatting up movie directors <laughs> in the interview. I think that's probably what that main room is about, you know. It's just, I knew a guy once who bought um, Synthi 100 and... He said, basically, we just put it in the room and every record that we produce, an A&R guy comes around, looks at that and thinks, they know what they're doing <laughs> and signs it. And I right. think with hands, you know, it, it does look a bit like a bordello when you're in there, but it's just so nice. And I can imagine any movie director walking in there and going, yep, this guy knows what he's talking about. But you know what? I, I tell you what it really reminded me of, and it reminded me of a scene from Mist, the original kind of uh, computer game. Do you remember oh, yeah. that? It yeah, looked, yeah. I wonder if he modelled it on Mist. I doubt it, but, you know, it does look... Next, if, when you go and check the video out, um, anybody... It's I'll, like everywhere you look in there, it's, there's something really interesting, whether it's musical gear or something. He had, the, like, the stuff from The Seventh Samurai and, like, all of these kind of movie props and stuff. It's just brilliant. An amazing place. Wow. And it, what is it? Is it like one of those kind of low concrete buildings in Santa Monica, or is it kind of in... I, I mean, because inside it looks kind of quite period and old, but obviously there's not much in Santa Monica no. that's of that age. No, it's just the room that's like that. And then, uh, you know, there's other studios within the place. I should say, well, maybe I shouldn't, actually. The one great thing about Hans is that um, he smokes, which is hilarious, really, because obviously there is no smoking anywhere in Santa Monica ever. <laughs> and yet Hans will go into the kitchen and, you know, various other people are in there kind of eating their health food and Hans just smokes wherever he wants. <laughs> <laughs> you've got to admire that somehow yeah i reckon they must have to sign a disclaimer it's the german it's, like... it's the german way isn't it what was the thing that we saw the other day it was the uh the tiny sizer and the bloke was just smoking well <laughs> he he's german as well yeah it's got to be a yeah, good... yeah. i know rich have you ever had any dealings with mr zimmer ever been to his place i've never seen his place i've seen now a few films that were shot in that room yeah and i suppose like most showpiece rooms that quite little of the actual work that gets done gets done in there, much like a studio that has a huge room and a ton of production rooms. I imagine that it's the production rooms that keep the lights on in that room, just like every place else. Mm, yeah, that's true. I mean, he, the one thing he does say when he got – there was a couple of other interviews. I think um, there was – there's quite – I didn't realize how kind of um, – uh, welcoming is of, of this kind of thing. There's quite a few of these, and uh, one of them he said as he opened the door said, "This is the room that I do most of my prevaricating in." <laughs> and it, right. it, you know he's fairly upfront and honest about it. Obviously knows that uh, cool. it'll it'll. Work. I mean, obviously Howard Howard uh, Sky in the chat room uh, is not here this week, but he's uh, he's he's often working with uh, Mr. Zimmer, and we spoke to him about it before when when we did a little uh, interview with him uh, recently. And it's great because Harry's room's kind of the other side of the building, you know, kind of out the building and out the back and into another building. And it's still a cool room, but, you know, he'll occasionally get, oh, there'll be a 2500 in there and a CS80 or something like that. But everything's software. Yeah, well, it's got, I mean, the things with movies, you've got to, haven't you? I mean, imagine kind of doing, making a commitment to use a modular system on, on it and then, you know, getting the usual, oh, we've changed this, we've changed that, can you redo those cues? It's like, no, I can't. <laughs> There's no way I'll ever be able to, I'll be able to recreate that. I mean, it's I think the coolest thing when I was there was I think they were doing the sequel to The Da Vinci Code and Hans said oh, to Howie something like, oh, have you got those stems and have you had a look kind of thing? And, and Howie kind of went, 
yeah, so what do you, have you got any ideas what I should do? And Hans just kind of looked at him and went, no, you do what you think is right. And if it's crap, I just won't use it. <laughs> well, that's kind of good, so, though. Complete freedom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But also, it's quite an interesting way of doing stuff as well, because then at least, you know, you're, you're going to put something of yourself into it rather than go, I don't know, they said they wanted this, I think it's rubbish, you know, whatever. At least that's kind of, it's good management sense. Yeah, no, I liked it. I liked it. Freedom. Freedom. But yeah, great, um, a, a, a great piece. And um, one that I can't help with, you know, I, as I spend more and more time in my office here, which, as you can see, bears no resemblance whatsoever um, to Hans Zimmer's place. Uh, apart from it's got one or two synthesizers in it, but none of them are plugged in. It's just for show as well. I use those as props to uh, make sure that when I do a video, people think that I know what I'm talking about. But I'd really like to get a good, you know, good workspace together. I've, I've, I've sort of decided I want to get a studio together with a, with like a control room, live room thing with a bit of glass between them so I can do, we can get musicians in and do all of that stuff. I'd love to do that. And I, the workplace is just such a, an important thing. I mean, I know, Rich, you're really happy with where you work, and it's kind of, it's sort of almost, is it designed to your specification? I think it pretty much is, isn't it? It's designed by me, for me, right. to work in. And uh, actually, I just posted pic new pictures yesterday. Oh, really? On, oh, wow. Uh, well, on Facebook of my room, yeah. Oh, excellent. We'll have to have a look at those. Love to, love to check them out. But I just, you know, the idea of having something that um, that there would be a kind of, I don't know, a bit more of a workspace. I'm going to have to work on that, I think. But part of the problem is here, um, I can't make an awful lot of noise because there are lots of other people in the building. So I need to, I, I think I might need to actually look for somewhere else that, uh, anyway, I, I'm, I'm rambling and going on in an opposite direction. Than this. But that's partly because we've actually got to the end of the topic list, which I'd never thought we would do by this time. So uh, I, I thought with, that um, that I'd be waffling on for a lot longer. But the Hans's Place one, I, I did enjoy that. It's well worth checking out on YouTube. Um, not only this, I, apart from the sound on this particular video is atrocious. I can't actually believe that somebody went on an interview with a malfunctioning mic. You can hear it humming and cutting out and all that and didn't check it. I mean, I would have backups. Isn't that I'd... deliberate, though? I thought that was part of the style. Well, why give the guy a mic when, in fact, you're working... When Here's a tip for anybody doing any interviews in studios, right? <laughs> Unplug the mic and use the camera mic because in a... Uh, most recording studios or treated rooms, it sounds fine. It doesn't sound like you're in a bathroom or in the kitchen. It sounds fine because it's acoustically treated, so you don't get all the reflections. That's just a tip. And, but, but, you know, doesn't it say, but doesn't it say, I mean, if it's by Collider.com, I thought that was like some kind of like sound design kind of like statement or artistic kind of thing like I might do, you know. What? <laughs> I just missed a point. Randomly a mute out some of the stuff he was saying by having a faulty mic. I don't know. That sounds like... I, you may be right, but I, I somehow think not. There's a lot of people giving the guy a lot a lot more stick than I've just given him, actually. There's some very upset people on, that, on the comments of that YouTube video. It's quite funny in some ways. Okay. Although... Uh, but uh, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it's an art thing. I'm just trying to see if I've got... Uh, let me see if I've got any kind of uh, appropriate... Uh, Oh, let's try that. Live trumps. No, that's not really appropriate. That's another random preview there. Completely I inappropriate. I like that. Did you? That was big band. I needed to go that? and get my Frank Sinatra hat. Oh, my God. Now I need to... Uh, Manhattan, Manhattan transfer, anybody? Oh, is that what it was? <laughs> Excellent. 
I'm sure Looks there's good a with a mic. Does it? Does it look like I'm actually doing it? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I have to work on my miming capabilities. <laughs> Hilarious fun. What fun we had. Um, oh no, actually, yes, it's people saying that I should have actually created a music bed on the Roland uh, to do the. <laughs> to do the um the yamaha ad over and also uh, it sounds like bbc radio 2 10.107.6 bbc radio 2 107.6 excellent you know if if this if this podcasting and web publishing thing doesn't work out maybe i could work on doing some voiceovers and jingle music for local radio absolutely brilliant <sighs> anyway, you'll be seeing a lot more of that. The uh, Juno GI review is coming soon. Um, and on that sort of rather hilarious note, I think I'm probably going to um, going to do the sign off because it's been uh, it's been great fun as usual, and another very synthy one. So thank you very much to everybody in the chat room. It's uh, been great to see you all there. And also, thank you very much to uh, my live guests. And I'll start uh, again um, over the other side of the ocean and say goodbye to Rich Hilton. And uh, I'm glad you managed to um, to find the time for us this week. I know you're very busy, and we always do appreciate, as with all our guests, the, the time that they give up to, to do this show completely free, even though I've promised to pay them for years. <laughs> Rich. <laughs> yeah, you told me the check was in the mail. It is, but it's on. Uh, it's being sent by Pigeon, and he's quite tired. He hasn't made it yet. It was time after you told me something else that sounded like that. But anyway... <laughs> no, I love doing I love doing these, and I thank you very much for uh, for uh, allowing me to participate. I love you know doing this, and it's fun, and make a lot of good friends here. It's yeah. always you're always welcome. So thank you very much, um, Rich Hilton, MySpace dot com forward slash Hiltonius, and um, you can probably find them on Facebook if there's any of you Facebook to check those pictures out of your crib. Um, so I'll check them out after the show, actually. But send us the link if. Uh, although Facebook doesn't work that way, does it? You've got to be kind of hooked up and stuff. It's not for. Uh, no, I, can, I think I can create a link for the album that's available to outside. World. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll find it now. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Rich. And also coming back over this side, we'll say thank you very much to uh, Mark Tinley. I think you're still there, or maybe he's dealing wrestling with a uh, a sick uh, cat. Here. Oh, you are. How was the uh, cat? I, I, the cat went outside. I don't know what she was doing. We've had a bit of a cat disaster here where the, the entire house got clooded, flooded with cat wee yesterday because one of them decided that, they, that, you know, the cat tray was not clean enough for him or something. So oh my. that was not much fun. Um, so she's outside, but I, I'm here apart from my fingertips. I still don't know. You why still can't feel your fingertips. So the codeine's not oh, working. Don't take any more for God's sake. <laughs> well, you might. Uh, I, I, well, do if you want, obviously. I'm no doctor. <laughs> I'll wait till six o'clock, then I can have some more then, maybe. But it doesn't seem to have cured it. I don't know why. Maybe I don't have a migraine at all, and maybe I've just had a stroke or something. <laughs> oh, don't. <laughs> I'm sure that's not the case. But anyway, Mark, nonetheless, thank you very much. And what's the name You're of your dot .com welcome. once again? Give us the link. I'm conceptsavant.com. Oh, actually, I've also got conceptsavantgarde.com. I've been collecting URLs again, of course, you see. I hate to think what your yearly new re renewal bill is. Oh, it's only £6 a shot, actually, per URL, so... Yeah, it depends how many got you've got. I've only got 100. <laughs> 20 or 30 or something. <laughs> anyway, well, thank you very much, Mark. I'm glad you could make it, and always a pleasure to have you on, too. 
and it's a peripheral nerve. Somebody said peripheral, you know. Peripheral, yes, okay. peripher, I don't know. It could be a peripheral, peripheral nerve problem, says Red Walks in the chat room. Yeah, well, doesn't make sense. No, it can't be because I've got one numb finger on my left hand and a completely different numb finger on the, the other hand. Hmm. Why would it be that? I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, thanks for joining us nonetheless. And You're also, <laughs> and also, thank you very much to Dave Spears, G4Software.com. I know that uh, you're a busy guy too. Are you, uh, uh, should I ask any questions about any forthcoming releases or should we just leave that until, until the time comes? Oh, don't ask me anything. Okay, I won't. <laughs> anyway, this uh, Sonic Talk number 193, uh, done and dusted. Thank you very much for everybody's participation. It's a wrap. Oh, I could just play you out with... What's this one going to sound like? Something majestic. This sounds like it could be an advert for a retirement home or Werther's original. What do you think? For many people, the onset of Alzheimer's... No, anyway, no, I'm not... I can't think of... <laughs> <laughs> And your soul. Ah, there we go. So, anybody else? What's this one? Oh, I know what this is. This is a slightly amusing children's hand wipe for the tip for the toilet music. Oh, yeah, very good. Okay. Uh, oh, house. Let's have another one. Right, what's this one? Sounds like Alan Partridge. And we'll be right back after this break. <laughs>